Welcome to the eighth episode of Reproducibility. Um, today we'll be discussing the pre-registration revolution from Brian Nozak and colleagues. And I am here with Sam Parsons. Hey. He's at Oxford, but we're in separate rooms. <laughs> and Sophia Krubel. Hi. And now in Amsterdam. So this is the last episode of our Reproducibility Journal Club series. So this was the last paper we covered in our journal club last term at Oxford. And I think it really did wrap up quite a lot of the discussions we were having. So hopefully we can wrap this up as well. Um, hope the podcast will keep going, don't worry. But um, a lot of the basic ideas are very well summarized in this paper. So let's just maybe start with thinking about what actually is pre-registration. Quiz, guys. <laughs> I, uh, I guess a public time-stamped document that says how you plan to analyze your data in its most basic form. So before you get into registered reports, you can kind of just say it's saying the way that you're going to process and analyze your data before you actually do so. Is that simple You enough? get a point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm winning. Um, yeah, and I think something really interesting in this paper is that they talk about post-diction versus prediction or prediction. And I think that was quite interesting because it's not really terms that I normally use at least. But they say, they really say we need to differentiate between kind of predictions that we make, so hypotheses that we have before we have the data, and then postdictions, which is kind of putting that data into perspective and making, pre- making predictions why the data exists, but after you have the data. So why, why I'm, Sam, you're giving me a skeptical face? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that, that's just my face. Um, uh, no, um, no, I, I've, no, that, that, that makes sense. So, um, why do you think, why is it, I guess like pre-registration is, I think almost one of the most popular things in kind of the first step into reproducible science. It's something that I think people often talk about as a way to, show that they're at least considering open science practices or reproducible practices. So why why is it seen as, as so important, I guess, is, is the, the question that this paper asks. Um, and I think they do list like various different reasons why pre-registration is important. And I thought, I don't know which ones, what do you guys think is, is a reason why why we should have kind of pre-registration? Um, well, I guess in the in the main reason to try to combat bias mm-hmm. or to at least be aware of um, of our own biases, right? So, I mean, I think they they even say something like it's not it's not about um, you you can't really do that with just good intentions because yeah, well, as always, you mustn't fool yourself and you're the easiest person to fool. Um, so I think the idea of pre-registration in its ideal form um, is just meant to make make it very very clear what you 
were actually, yeah, well, as you say, mm. what, 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 what was actually prediction and what, what is postdiction. So again, working on that the distinction between exploratory and confirmatory research. So do you think um, that, like, how do you say, so that these biases are just these natural biases to us. So would, in a perfect world where the scientific system would be just as we want it to be and everything, you know, the career progression would be down to actually figuring stuff out rather than publishing papers, would we still need this pre-registration process? Yes. I think so, yes. I mean, because I don't think, uh, well, yes, we would, because people um, people will not suddenly be objective. It's, I don't know, I mean, I, I think I sort of have talked to you guys at least a lot about this, how I just don't believe in the notion of humans being objective in any way. And I think we have this tendency within science, with a capital S, mm. um, to fetishize objectivity in a way that I don't think is useful at all. Um, we are subjective. We're always going to be subjective. Um, I mean, even just like the, the context that we're in is going to mean that we're going to perceive things differently from someone who's, I don't know, who's not sitting in Amsterdam, but, well, even in Oxford, right? So like, um, so in that way, I think these kind of things, these kind of sort of ways of making sure that um, you lay out very clearly and very openly um, what you're doing and what you're planning on doing and what you didn't plan on doing um, are always going to be important. Well, and if, if this is coming from like a perfect world scenario, then that perfect world scenario for uh, no hypothesis significance testing would also include I have pre-specified my hypothesis, whether you've written it down or not, under whichever conditions and controls and covariates and blah blah blah. So in that perfect world, still, it kind of requires essentially pre-registration, even in an informal sense, even in an unwritten sense, to, hmm. um, for it actually to be that perfect world where people aren't fooling themselves and so on. But you, yeah, do, thought... you really, do you really think it's um, sort of, it's sufficient to just to have it in an informal way? Oh, no, no, in, no, no. Way, I, I just mean if, so if people were doing things perfectly and not writing it down, to even come up with a, I am going to run a frequentist t-test still requires you to, before you've actually run it, have the kind of hypothesis that I'm going to run it in this sample with whatever mm -hmm. else. So it kind of it still requires you to essentially have created the hypothesis beforehand for it to actually count. So in this sort of perfect yeah. world, it's, it's essentially pre-registration, but just not not written down. Um, but I do agree with Sophia that in so many stories I hear people, and I think I, I have had it myself, where you pre-register something and it makes complete sense, and you collect the data, and then you're like. I would naturally wanted to control for this thing, but I didn't write it down, you know. Oh, I naturally didn't, you know. Um, you know, the, and you're like surprised at having looked at the data that your pre-registration is something different than what you now thought you had thought all along. And I think that's really like interesting because they also have this quote in the paper on the front page saying that, from Amos Tversky, 
saying that all too often we find ourselves unable to predict what will happen, yet after the fact we explain what did happen with a great deal of confidence. This ability to explain that which we cannot predict, even in the absence of any additional information, represents an important though so subtle flaw in our reasoning, and then it leads us to believe that there is a less uncertain world than there actually is. Um, and yeah, I feel like having previously pre-registered it's completely true because at both times you thought you're doing the same test, but then if you look at what's written down and what's in your head after collecting the data, they're often pretty different or at least certain, there are differences that you would have forgotten about if you hadn't kind of put it down on paper. Yeah, and I think but that's that's kind of the purpose of pre-registration, I suppose, in it being a or pre-registration in the sort of we have a public document registering this kind of sense in that you can then still distinguish between this was my a priori specified hypothesis that was going to be tested under these specifications and these analyses um, and the sort of more exploratory post hoc actually we hadn't considered this beforehand but it should be very important and just having that transparency I think makes if anything that for me is the appeal of um, pre-registration in a general sense just transparency so if we like so we talk like a lot about psychological bias and I guess you know even in the perfect world scenario pre-registration would be important because we need to safeguard ourselves against ourselves so if we think kind of one step further in the current scientific environment, there are also other things that pre-registration safeguards us against, isn't there? No. Um, I think I think maybe no, I've been I, I, I think wrong. yes, but maybe they're the the less important ones. Like some, it's kind of been described sometimes as being a good measure against just fraudulent behaviour, for example, because you have a document that describes what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and how you're going to analyze it but i'm not convinced that that's like either the best or even a useful use um i mean what it can do through it being more transparent is highlight whether something's fraudulent because it, then it's completely mm -hmm. different right um but i'm not convinced that it's a good measure against kind of fraud or foul play yeah, yeah, I guess similar... you... Go ahead. Well, and in a similar vein, like uh, I guess you could argue that it safeguards us to some extent um, from questionable research practices. <laughs> but there again, right, there's... I think there's, with sort of pre-registration light, <laughs> um, so the, like, sort of the very basic form of pre-registration, there's so much room um, to keep some kind of vagueness in there. Um, and well, I mean, just basically, to, yeah, to be to be to to not be entirely clear and to kind of exploit the, the system, um, which again, you know, you're incentivized to do in a way that I don't think it actually pre-registration in itself, without any kind of review or um, anything else, um, I don't think it, that it properly safeguards us against commercial research practices. No. Yeah, but uh, I guess it is. I'm really torn <laughs> like if it's a step in that this popularity of pre-registration at least in some context 
that naturally it's a step in the right direction and that one it safeguards us about the psychological biases that i think in my opinion that they are exacerbated by the current culture that we need to publish a lot of papers things need to be clean things need to be um novel and and positive that's what they say in the paper you know results need to have this kind of perfection and um that just doesn't doesn't exist in the real world and so periodization does does help you do that but then as you say Sophia as well it is becoming really popular in a way and it can still be really vague so the quality standards of pre-registration can have huge different standards so on the one hand I think the ship is going in the right direction that we are adopting it more but I'm also concerned a bit with not adopting it right and then thinking that things will just be okay just because it's pre-registered. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Right. I mean, that's the um, entire thing with all those badges that the the badges are obviously all a step in the right direction. Um, But at the end of the day, it's it's not perfect. Right. So I think then taking just the pre-registration badge, um, just saying that you've pre-registered something um, doesn't necessarily mean that it's doing that, that. That is actually that it's actually good pre-registration. That it's doing what you what you mean what you wanted to do. Um, I wonder is it still so better? right? I mean, like I mean, it's, it's a. It, mm-hmm. I'm not actually sure if it is because arguably, arguably, um, if you have a paper and you pre-registered one of its five studies, then I'm not sure if that pre-registered badge is actually something positive because. I mean, it is for for that paper, I guess, and for, for people thinking, for people believing in that paper. But for science, I'm not so sure. I think it's just because pre-registration is like a huge, how do you say, like spectrum of I just write down my hypothesis on a piece of paper and put it into a drawer. To I write down my hypothesis and put it on a repository where it's never, it could always be private forever, and and I don't need to make it public to, you know, I write down a bit of my analyses to, you know, very detailed pre-registrations on, on the OSF. And I think what I'm quite, in, you know, we often just say this was pre-registered or not, but we don't say where on the spectrum that was pre-registered. I think that's something where I was sometimes quite shocked to see that, you know, I, I thought that I made a detailed pre-registration, but you know, it's not incredibly detailed. I don't know the data well enough to really put down everything and anything, and I need to put in some decision trees and whatever. And I send it to people and say, you know, sorry, this is as much as I could do. And they're like, wow, that's so detailed. And you're like, no, I th- I know I should be putting more detail into this, but then they've seen other pre-registrations, which are even, you know, hypotheses and maybe a bit of methods. So, yeah. Um, but we call everything a pre-registration. Yeah, that's maybe a problem. Um, but that's where I, I also kind of feel like when when you see that someone's pre-registered and when you, I guess especially if you actually have a chance to look through it properly, which often we probably don't, I think normally it is a fair indication. I think, it. I mean, somehow we do need to be able to distinguish between, I guess, a more cynical pre-registration where it's purely for that kind of we got a badge by saying that I don't know the, the vaguest possible hypotheses um, but I think normally it is an indication of 
like this is someone that's moving in the right direction whether that's going to be like you say kind of in maybe future pre-registrations you add in these extra details or um, or you find that people that have pre-registered analyses before quite often there's that sort of I really think next time we should do a registered report because that's going to have kind of all of the benefits and but more so um, as well so I think similar to our conversation about questionable research practices but in the positive way it's kind of like it's a stepping stone to it's usually a signal that the person wants to actually improve practices I think maybe I'm being overly optimistic Yeah, maybe I'm a bit more cynical, but I've been reflecting a lot when I was reading this paper in that, you know, this was written 2007, no, oh, 2017, so it's not, I kind of thought it was older, but I feel like pre-registration has really taken on, maybe mainly in my research area and kind of social psychology. Um, and I do wonder sometimes, like, why has this become the most popular kind of way to do reproducible science? Why is this the thing that most of the undergrads seem to at least know a bit about? And somebody sits them down and says, okay, so, you know, this is pre-registration. You know, why isn't it looking at the reliability of questionnaires or thinking about measurement or open data or well I guess open data has become pretty popular as well <laughs> but maybe I'm just wrong in thinking it's really popular. No I would say it's really popular and it makes sense that it's really popular and it makes sense that the undergrads um, sort of have an idea about this as well because it's um, of all of the things probably the most uh, intuitive and the most obvious thing right um, I mean you know you can and not not, say, not not to say that that grammars are, are not educated, but you can you, know, you can explain to your you can you can say to your grandma, hey, so this is a thing where people like put down their hypotheses beforehand and put down what they're going to do, and your grandma's going to go. At least my grandma went. And that's what they then they don't always do that. Like what, right? So it's it, it does it it seems like the simplest thing to do, even though if you actually go into it, it's actually very very difficult to do a really good pre-registration, as you said, Amy. Right. Mm. But it's it's the most it, it seems like the most fundamental. And it's it's the um, most aligned with the kind of already in place incentive structures in science, right? Because if you consider, say, registered reports, mm -hmm. for example, if you do a registered report, your study is going to get published. If you pre-register your analyses, at the very least, when you submit your paper, you can kind of say, well, look, we pre-registered, so our results are maybe more robust compared to had we p-hacked our way through so there's there's sort of that marker of quality that i think is tied quite heavily into this helps the publishability of the study so it kind of ties in a little bit to how well you can convince for example more senior people who have no interest in open science to get involved because you can kind of say well look we can if we pre-register our research we can even publish the stuff that is no results Whereas if you kind mm. of say, so it's going to take me an extra week, but I want to format the data so that it's in the right format and I'm going to upload that, then the kind of the question back could be in a cynical way. Okay, but what does this add to our publication record and all of that kind of stuff? So I think it might be the easiest to align with the current kind of incentive structures. 
At least in its vaguest form. In its vaguest form. Well, and, and maybe even in its yes, strictest right? form. Yes, right. Well. Because, I mean, because as, as soon as you... Well, yes, with register. Well, but then but again, register right, reports like, register are like a complete difference. Like I think, having tried to explain to a lot of people, you know, we should actually do these. You do get a lot of pushback saying, "Oh, that would take ages." Exactly. You know, you're a PhD, and it will need to be quick. You want to collect the data before the grant runs out. But then, as you say, like in a way, I understand why pre-registration is popular. But then. As Sophia said, maybe just in its vaguest form, because naturally, once you do a really detailed pre-registration, you are putting yourself at a disadvantage in the publication landscape as it stands. At least, you know, things are changing. But, you know, for me, it's, it scares me a bit that it is so popular because I then feel like a lot of people must not be doing it right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm just cynical. I don't know, I think it's, it's maybe something that hasn't actually been studied yet. I, I just kind of have the assumption that something that's been pre-registered, so it, a null result has been pre-registered um, in any even pre-registration light, is probably more publishable, so convincing people to do it would be easier, but I, I don't actually know that there's any sort of data on that, So, and I don't know how that well, would be. Well, so. I mean, I guess... They include data on how it seems to be better, like there is this dramatic drops in rates of positive results in clinical trials once you needed to pre-register, kind of a lot more reporting of previously unreported variables, but they don't actually talk about publishability. I think there are certain journals now where I think it does help, um, but... Yeah, I think we are in a quickly evolving landscape, I guess. That of a couple of years, like just two years ago, I think things were very different. Maybe since, since we, we've talked about it before in previous, but I don't think we've actually defined registered report for this conversation. So maybe that's worth doing. He says hinting that someone else should do it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I, I mean, think, Sophia, did you want to say something about this last question um, and then we can move on to registered reports? Uh, ah, yes, I did want to say something, but I, I now, I've, 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 sorry, I've now lost the thread because I, I was focusing on Sam's question. Don't Wait, but, worry. Um, then I think we will take a break and yes. come back <laughs> and talk a bit about challenges of pre-registration and registered reports. <laughs> You are listening to Reproducibility, serving you discussions of important issues in science and psychology one mug of tea at a time. Do you like the taste of our podcast? Give us a follow on Twitter at Reproducibility, rate us on iTunes, and tell other early career researchers about us. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can reach us on Twitter or via our email address, which is reproducibility at gmail.com. Over the next weeks, we will also release some special tea flavours which are small podcast episodes talking to a wide range of psychological researchers, especially awesome ECRs that we want you to meet. If you have someone you think should come on the show, send us a message. During our break, we started discussing about um, Sophia's question. So you remembered it. So yes. let's, let's go to <laughs> Sophia. Um, what was your question? Well, so Sam had said that he thinks that a pre-registered paper is more publishable. But what I was wondering is whether you think that's the case for... Um, so if, if you have two 
well, I mean, because publication is always a, a contest, I guess, right? So not everything gets published. So if you have two papers that are equal, but one is pre-registered and the other is cleaner, right? Because that's the interesting case. Um, because that is what we are, you know, as, as they say, right? Like, so the, the clean and, um, and nice... And novel um, and novel uh, yeah. result is actually really unlikely to happen. Positive. So if you have one that's clean and nice and novel, and another that is messier but pre-registered, but in all other respects they're they're equal and um, they actually say similar things, I guess, <laughs> right? Which one is the more publishable publishable one? I would say it's the one that is the clean one currently. Well, I think it's not just publishability, isn't it? It's like. I do a lot of work with translation into policy, like the clean one, you can actually explain to people more. Um, the clean one, you can stop branding your baby lab, you know, your little, your yourself, and then at some later point, your lab and your research strand. And if rather than you always need to say, oh, we found this, but not in this situation. Or like I had a friend who, um, put something into peer review at a very, very high journal where we did expect that pre-registration would be valued, but the results were just a little bit unclear. Like there was one condition where something happened that they couldn't really explain. And then all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but they said, you know, you can't explain what happened here. So we can't publish it because there's a non-explained finding. So there must be something wrong with the study. Um, so yeah, I think we are heading towards being able to publish more messy results, but I, I do lean towards what you're saying, Sophia, that um, I still don't think that, yeah, maybe having that bit more cleanness rather than the pre-registration path. I don't know, maybe it's something where our um, listeners can also tell us what they think. That's yeah. a really interesting question. Nice. Well, I mean, I, I'd imagine that most people, or at least most within our kind of bubble, will argue that um, the kind of the more rigorous which will tend to be the pre-registered the more messy kind of transparent results kind of should be the more publishable but whether it, mm. yeah but. well in, in the long term like if we think about like I think sometimes the problem that we have is that we think in this really short-term perspective you know paper by paper by paper in the long term naturally the messy results will lead you to do better science and will lead to more knowledge generation and will probably lead to your research not just being forgotten in five years but maybe lasting a, a, a bit longer and helping build something that is just a bit better so I think there are a lot of other reasons where pre-registration is really really important um but yeah currently in that culture yeah it, it just really de probably depends on the journal and the editor and the subject um we're hopefully moving in the right direction though yeah hmm. yeah interesting questions though so I think one last thing that I actually did want to talk about before we move on to kind of challenges with pre-registrations and registered reports and defining registered reports was about the statistics because we haven't really talked about statistics. We've talked about this importance of pre-registration for this philosophical scientific progress point of view from the psychological bias point of view and and for um you know making sure that we're doing the right thing but then there's also a big part that says that we should be doing pre-registration because of stats 
or the stats we we most currently most normally <laughs> use. Um, which um, oh does without looking at the paper. So this is the stats is naturally we're talking about null hypothesis significance testing, um, and I still struggle. You know this is open science anonymous here i still struggle to properly say what a p-value is because they define a p-value in the paper and i was like oh yeah i knew that <laughs> and I was, I was rehearsing it on the train <laughs> so yeah can without looking at the paper can one of you say sophia is getting ready sophia the, what's a p-value okay. i really hope i don't make a mistake now um, it's the probability of observing the data that you observed or more extreme data given that the null hypothesis is true Yes. Right? That's everything. Yeah. So they say the rejection of the null hypothesis at P lower than 0.05 is a claim about the likelihood that the data as extreme or more extreme than the observed data would have occurred if the null hypothesis were true. So yeah. That's what well, I not, said, right? <laughs> I think that's what you said. So um, star for Sophia there. But yeah, so why, this is something we don't talk about that much either. Why, wh when using p-values and, and null hypothesis significance testing, why is it important that we, that we actually have hypothesis that we are testing? Well, I mean, for exactly that reason, right? A hypothesis is predicting something or kind of you're actually testing exactly that for whether the, um, the effect is as extreme or more extreme than predicted under HO. Um, but to be able to do that in the first place, you need to kind of have a prediction, right? Have a prediction. <laughs> if, if you don't, if you don't have a wow. prediction, then it's not, it's not hypothesis testing anymore. Hypothesis testing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Null hypothesis testing, not null. I will uh, decide. I will, oh no, not null. I'll let the data speak to me. Testing <laughs> or <laughs> or null. We have to see how the data come out. Testing. Um. And I think I think that's where a lot of talk about the Gardner forking paths come in. Like I think there was some really good part of the paper where they said, and I'll quote this. If there were only one inference test to perform and only one way to conduct that test, then the p-value is diagnostic about its intended likelihood. And then it's not hyperbole to say that this almost never occurs <laughs> <laughs> because there are so many ways we can analyze the data. And if we don't specify beforehand, we are starting to, there are so many analytical decisions that we will not remember us even taking afterwards. And then all of a sudden we thought we've done one test but we've done 20 tests and then the p-value had a completely different meaning because the p-value is there for doing one test and seeing what the outcome is. And if we do, you know, they say 20 or 200 or 2000, that's that's really gonna change the outcome. But we're, we're not safeguarding against that if we don't pre-register exactly the test we're going to do. Well, yeah, and I think that's even, yeah. so, so I guess, a natural counter would be yes, but we corrected for multiple comparisons. But even that is both usually done incorrectly, and I'm very guilty of this as well. But it's also you you, you don't know how much you've inflated alpha by running additional tests, right? So even if you um, use a bomb for only correction, for example, you don't actually know if you've adequately controlled for alternative tests and adding in covariates and all this kind of stuff so it's kind of 
yeah, it's, it almost just becomes a well a completely meaningless statistic to report unless it's a properly kind of pre-specified hypothesis, which is sad. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think I think that that is a good way to wrap up this part of the podcast. And I think, sorry, I'm gonna. There are so many good quotes in this paper. I'm gonna yes. read out one more. Um, With means, motive, and opportunity to misperceive postdiction as prediction, and to selectively rationalize and report a biased subset of outcomes, researchers are prone to false confidence in evidence. And I think this is all about this false confidence. And it's the perfect storm, which naturally pre-registration tries to solve. Um, but let's talk a bit about the challenges. So they, they mm-hmm. go on to talk about pre-registration in practice. Um, and they talk a lot about these different challenges in doing pre-registrations in, in different contexts. And I was wondering if there's, you know, we don't need to go through these one by one because naturally our listeners can have a look or we can list them afterwards in the show notes. Um, but do do any of you think of any pertinent problems to do with pre-registration or problems you could encounter when you're pre-registering or running a pre-registered study? Um, yeah, well, I guess um, one of the challenges was this, um, the, the problem of having data that's different from what you expected it to be, um, as in data that violates some assumptions in a way that you can't actually run the test that you pre-registered, right? Like, that's a problem. (laughs) Mm. Um, And, well, there the sort of, the answer that they suggest is blinding, um, which is interesting. So Um, kind of that, that you can, blinding in a way of that you shuffle part of the data set? Yeah, exactly. and, then and then the relationships don't occur, but the dates, the distributions are still the same. Yeah, yeah. but obviously, yeah. obviously, you're not the one shuffling it; someone else will shuffle it, right? <laughs> Otherwise, it's uh, my, I don't know what But you're then doing, it's like my research blinding. assistant will shuffle it for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so by you, yeah, I yeah, mean that the... is a challenge, and they do they do bring that up. Um, Sam, can you think of any challenges you maybe had when you pre-registered? Or? Um, so I think the challenge that I had was that I so I pre-registered what was going to be a replication and extension of a previous study that I'd done in my PhD. Um, so part of the problem that I had was that we, after writing up the pre-registration, we got our reviewers' comments back from the original study that also included changes in analysis in a fairly fundamental way. Um, I don't think it was enough that kind of ruined things, but it did change, I think, some of the analyses from correlational to multiple regression, for example. Um, But I just took that as a kind of just in my methods section, here is the pre-registration by the way, it talks about correlations, and because of a reviewer's comments, we did multiple regression instead. Like that's different from what was intended, but otherwise we followed everything else. Um, because I don't know, I I don't see it as a big problem that, like for example, with um, violated assumptions, is kind of well, yes, you have to do something else, but you're being transparent about doing something else, right? Because you've pre-registered, so. At the very least, there's kind of a record of what you've done there. Um, 
and again, maybe I'm being overly naive and positive about this, but I think for the most part, if you have folk that pre-register their analyses, they violate an assumption and therefore they have to do something else, I think they're more likely in that case to do the something else and report more transparently, we didn't do this, but we did do this, in such a way that isn't missing out the step of we p-hacked it until it sort of bled, and then that's what we report. I think the transparency should kind of follow through. Um, so yeah, I, I saw that as quite a surmountable issue, personally. Um, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I guess it, it, all of them. Well, I guess like all of them are to an extent, right? I mean, they'll they'll all add much more work than just going. Well, we'll just do something else here, but work that is important. Yeah. Well, and right. it, it gives you something to build on for um, next I time, think... right? So if you if you know that, for example, you would have to change your analysis plan because of violated assumptions, the next time you pre-register, you add in a clause that kind of says, well, maybe that's going to be violated, and in that case, we'll use. I don't know, robust analyses. Or oh, yeah, yeah, decision so tree, right? The decision tree. Yes. Or just yeah. use more robust analyses anyway, right? Because we probably should always use something like robust analyses. Like if anything, they should be the norm versus kind of not. Because in psychological data is more likely to violate an assumption rather than not. I guess that's 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 a whole new discussion we we could have, <laughs> um, but yeah, I do think. Well, I think there are there are issues. I think that that are difficult, and I I feel like I'm probably not the only one saying that my first pre-registration was, you know, crap. <laughs> you know, I tried really really hard. I got feedback. But in the end, I pre-registered something, I ran the study, it, you know, I spent a lot of time on the study, and in the end, like, my pre-registration was not aligned with what, I couldn't even test the hypothesis I want to test with what I pre-registered. Um, and for a while, I did feel like, oh, wow, I've, you know, shot myself in the foot now, like, I have got a pretty bad pre-registration, I've got data which isn't, you know, is now, I can't really analyze in the way that I want to, and I now need to more or less say in my paper that I was just a bit crappy at pre-registering stuff. Um, I think it is just a learning experience, and I, I hope that as more and more master students and undergrads actually do pre-registrations in that time when, you know, you still have the that flexibility and it's not you know your actual academic work um but i do think like we can't it's not all like rose tinted spectacles like it's all great i think it is sometimes really really hard uh, get trying to get something published that isn't clean um is also hard and i i've talked to a lot of people where where i'm sometimes a bit worried if that's the only thing they kind of think about, if they think reproducible science or open science, they think pre-registration, and then they've done it once or twice and they found it really, really hard, like most people do. Um, and I feel like there's a lot more to it, you know, if we, we can talk a bit about registered reports and everything that goes along with that. But yeah, I think, I think it's, you can always make a pre-registration work. You know, there's the paper goes through different scenarios and how you can make it work. But I think it does. It still makes 
shows that it's not easy and it, it's hard stuff. Well, yeah, of course, right? I mean, I think as, as, as always um, with these things, um, there's an extent to which you need um, at least a little bit of idealism and quite a lot of effort to get started. Um, but yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, I think um, just one one more thing that I think um, when it comes to challenges um, for the pre-existing um, data, right? Because that's that, that's actually something that's really difficult. And I, ju I just thought we should mention this because um, at SIPS this year, some people worked on um, a template for this. I think didn't they, Sam? I think they did it the year before. Oh, was it the I, year before? I think there's there's a kind of. I know that it's been going yeah, for at least an a year. Kind of theme to figure out different formats of, or how pre-registration can be applied to different research. So I think I only saw someone tweeting today about one for um, qualitative work and a kind of template for that because again, that especially is outside of the traditional <laughs> like hypothesis testing mindset because there's already so many biases that can be put in. I think it's a really nice ongoing. I'm interested to see how that goes, to be honest, because I I, I understood um, qualitative research. I mean, I think it's very important, but I understood it as a sort of um, precursor to um, to well to yeah. I, I think I think we, I think we, I don't know. I probably don't understand this properly, but I understood qualitative work as something that you do um, in areas where you you can't work quantitatively yet because you have so little idea what was actually happening. Right, so you kind of need to get an overview of what's actually happening in a qualitative or, or way. Or just do something so new. Um, so, right, in that way, so I'm a bit, I'm, I'm, I'm just a bit, yeah, I might just be misunderstanding qualitative work, but um, I'm, I'm not quite clear on how you can pre-register that. Oh, I, I, I only saw. Or like, what tweet sense it makes. I, that's as much as I know. <laughs> I saw the tweet today as well, which was like, qualitative work is, is inference, or it was something. It was around on Twitter today, and I also didn't understand it because I'm quantitatively trained. So maybe, maybe this is somebody we should get a qualitative researcher on the podcast. Talk about qualitative pre-registration. Um, if that is a thing, we can have a, a debate about that uh, later on. That gives but me ideas for future. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I think that'd be very interesting to to do to talk to that. Can can we just get that person on the podcast? Oh yeah, that would okay. be great. Um, we will see. Um, and yeah, keep checking our Twitter to know who's coming and up if you next. Have any suggestions? Um, of, so I like illicit or just terrible justifications or like criticisms <laughs> or challenges to pre-registration. Then I think that would just be a fun thread. The best, the best that I've seen is that yeah. you can't find significant p-values, which to me just says that your field is dog shit. But, mm, but then, but then I've I've heard very eminent researchers that I trust saying that the moment they start pre-registering, they've just stopped finding loads of effect. And like, I just don't, I don't think that like. I wouldn't want to go up to them and be like, your field is shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it means like you need to learn. And I think we need to start like what I felt like when I started pre-registering, I just started testing simpler effects, yeah. you know, where before you'd use like multiple regression when like mediation, when you actually start thinking about it before you see the data, you're like, I can actually only really 
know how to test very simple things and test them right. And I think that that's changes where we'll see that I think a lot of fields are going to just get better by testing things simpler, but testing things kind of in a more coherent way. Well, see, that gets back to the um, overconfidence thing, right? In a way, mm. this is just um, this, this is just realizing the uncertainties and realizing, um, you know, just yeah, just making people more humble, I guess, in um, in how they do science. Um, though, actually, when it comes to ridiculous reasons, I have another one. Um, this is not this is not one for um, not pre-registering things, but for um, well, I'll just I'll just I'll just say it. So um, I I once talked um, to someone about um, someone else's um, someone who someone who just presented something um, where like all the the p values. I might have told the story before because to me it's just so Go it's ahead. such a insane thing. But um, like this, in the study, like all the p values were just below point point uh, point of five, and um, it was you know it just looked a little bit like. <clears throat> untrustworthy um, and I said uh, so like this presentation itself was fantastic um, and I said some and afterwards when we were, we were discussing this um, everyone was like well this, this was great like what how fantastic and she even so she even uh, replicated her results several times and I was like well I would have I was really tentative right I was like mm, I would have believed this more had it been pre-registered and to that, I got in response this this very sort of emotional response about um, how that means that I am distrusting people. That so that the, that the idea of um, of sort of of wanting to see things pre-registered or yeah, well, believing things that are pre-registered a little more than things that aren't pre-registered at all um, means that I I think that everyone is bad and that I think that everyone is out there to to do bad science and that I'm mistrusting people, um, which I was very surprised by, but I guess um, is not something that that is that uncommon of a view, probably, because if you think about it, if you're if you sort of if you've done the, done all of this without any pre-registration for all your career, and then someone at some point goes, hey, let's do this thing. And you're convinced that what you're doing is right, then I guess the idea of pre-registration does seem like it assumes that you have to mistrust people, and I think that's okay because we should mistrust oh, yeah. people. Who'd have thought that scientists should distrust? But it doesn't people. mean that they're evil. Well, maybe not distrust people, but should be skeptical, like <laughs> that thing that we're told exactly. to do. Exactly. I don't think we have to assume that anyone is. Yeah, I don't think that we have to assume that anyone is having bad intentions, but I do think that we should mistrust people. Well, just be and that that's nothing bad. Results, right? so well, I... that pattern of results of most of the p-values were just below 0.05 is unlikely in itself, right? So it's not it's not you distrusting the person; it's you saying this pattern of results is is unlikely. So therefore, um, and I think that that's part of it, right? The the p-values just below 0.05 are going to be more trustworthy if in a pre-registered study. Because at least then you know that you've tried to control well, alpha enough that that threshold is more valid. Well, I, I think I think the the discussion is is interesting because we we 
through the whole podcast today, we're talking about this importance of skepticism, the importance of not being overly confident. And while we didn't get on to registered <laughs> reports, um, which we'll link to during the show notes, um, we'll hopefully find some great resource or we can um, do a podcast, especially on that now that this is the last episode of our first set of Reproducibility Journal Club um, podcasts with the eight actual journal clubs that we did. Um, I think it's really great to wrap up with um, one, the conclusions that Brian Nozek and his co-authors made, because I think they really do wrap up what we've been talking about in this problem that Sophia just raised, because they say sometimes researchers use existing observations of nature to generate ideas about how the world works. That is called post-diction. Other times, researchers have an idea about how the world works and make new observations to test whether idea is reasonable. That's called prediction. And then they crucially say, to make confident inferences, it is important to know which is which. And I think this skepticism and this increasing knowledge is what makes um, pre-registration really important. Um, So I think this is all what we have time for today. So um, thanks for joining us on Reproducibility. And um, yeah, tune in for the next episode where we venture into the world of post-journal club Reproducibility. Bye. Bye.